During my years at Altina Baptist Church, the church has had six administrative assistants. That's how hard I am to work with. <laughs> the second of the six during the mid-1970s was Pat Losey. Pat was born and bred in the United Kingdom, and she was rightfully proud of her heritage and let us know all the time. As America approached its 2,000th birthday in 19, 200th birthday, thank you, in 1976, there was increasing buzz about the great event. Those of you who are younger uh, don't remember that, but some of us have very vivid memories. And uh, <clears throat> uh, Pat always listened to that and then kind of threw in a bah humbug wet blanket over it, proclaiming how much better America would have been if we'd remained part of the United Kingdom. Separation of church and state was a concern of mine as we approached this because there's a lot of red, white, and blue stuff going on. And the 4th of July was a Sunday. So I didn't want it to be confusing to people. But I didn't have a choice because my brother chose to get married on the 4th of July. And it was a 4th of July wedding. Those guys were dressed as Revolutionary War soldiers, and they actually had tri-cornered hats, which they couldn't wear in the sanctuary, but they wore every war everywhere else. Was I glad I was clergy? Um, and on the right, I'm standing next to my Uncle Herman, who was my pastor growing up, and we co-officiated. My three brothers all had to dress up that way. And um, sometime during that service, I, uh, or during the reception, whenever I had a chance to think about what I was doing there, as contrasted to what I did the week before and would do the week after, I thought of what was happening back at Altina Baptist Church. We had a guest preacher, I can't remember who it was, but I didn't know what would happen with regard to the mention of the holiday and uh, didn't know whether it would be, anybody would take care of that, you know, and think about it. And uh, I found out later that it was red, white, and blue all over. That Pat Losey, in spite of her bah humbug, had made big red, white, and blue bows for all the pews. And the place, I don't know whether any of you remember that, but the place was definitely 4th of July festive. So that's one thing Pat and her English heritage brought to this church. The other thing was my first exposure to Boxing Day. Boxing Day is the day after Christmas. And oh, it, it really doesn't mean that. It means more like this. Um, the other one. <laughs> and and it's, it, it's about boxes. And Boxing Day in England, she explained to me, was a big holiday. And it really arose in medieval times. There are various uh, theories about where it came from. One is that 
um, medieval churches had an alms box for the poor, kind of like the ones we have at the doorways right now. And people were encouraged to give into the alms box. And uh, December 26th was St. Stephen's birthday, that commemoration, and uh, St. Stephen's Day. And I think it was a focus on poor people. And so the boxes were opened and delivered to the poor. But there's another tradition, and maybe they're both true, that uh, after the people of means, you know, who had property and estates and, and power in society and money, after they had their Christmas and exchanged gifts, instead of throwing away the empty boxes, they used them to gather kind of leftover gifts for the servants. And uh, they would put in maybe, maybe they got a new pair of shoes, so they'd put in their old shoes, which would be a treasure to the servants. And maybe even some leftover Christmas meal would be part of those boxes. So that's a tradition of Boxing Day. And then it became a day when you remember not just servants in the old style, but service people, people who deliver your newspaper, cut your hair, mow your lawn with a tip. So uh, this Christmas box idea became the name for a tip that people would receive. And it was generally given the day after Christmas or Monday if Christmas fell on a Sunday. Of course, uh, being a uh, society, marketing society like our own society, it evolved into being the biggest shopping day in England. So Boxing Day was the day for Christmas sales. I learned all this because Pat was in that office. She never learned anything, but I did. <laughs> and, and gifts are an important part of Christmas. And even in our Christmas story for today about the wise men, gifts are a very important part those people who came from the East. We, we talk about the three wise men. How many were there? The Bible never says there were three. It says there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's how we get the three. The Bible never really calls them wise men. And there's, maybe they were kings as some traditions. We three kings of Orient are. Or the Magi, which is more like a, a seer, a, a, a prophetic um, leader of the people. They were, they were big people, and they were people of authority. And the reason that caravan uh, contains more than three camels is because I believe they had their servants with them. And they were carrying their provisions, and they... Uh, really never went anywhere by themselves. So um, uh, the important events and the experience of the birth of Jesus are all uh, recorded in different ways to us, and we have to kind of put them together. We know that the shepherds came when Jesus was in his manger, but the wise men didn't come until quite a bit later, when he was a toddler. So they were never together there, as they are in some of the pictures we do. But 
What happens after Christmas? What happens after the manger scene for the shepherds? It says they went back praising God. They went back where? To their sheep. Although they met some people on the way and shared the message with them. Mary, it says, pondered these things in her heart. After the Magi's visit, they left. And the Magi went back to their own homes and to their own places. And uh, after all the great events in our life, I wrote the script for Felita as she told the story. After, after Christmas, there is often disappointment. And all the great events have a kind of a after effect. Well, we're going to read about the story of the wise men as is told in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to begin with verse 13. Uh, excuse me, I, I, I should have started earlier, but I lost track of what verse that is. Where does the story start? Verse 1. And I don't have it here, so I'm going to begin with verse 13. After they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. That's not a part of the Christmas story, but there it is. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I had called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. That's the end of the wise men's story. What a disappointing ending. What a sad ending. That experience of the wise men. Dale, you're going to have to bail me out because I lost a page. But I think I have Herod's picture, right? Okay. Got a nasty picture of Herod because we remember him as a nasty man. Um, actually, Herod was, it's a, he's, was a very interesting character. He was able to manipulate a place of power while people in Rome were struggling. Mark Antony and Octavius for the throne to be the emperor of Rome. Cleopatra was in Egypt. And you know, King Herod managed to escape to go to Egypt for a time while the Romans fought it out. And he spent time with Cleopatra and Mark Antony in Egypt. He had friends in high places. And he was able to play one against the other. And he was able to amass a fortune. In fact, he made a loan to Octavian that allowed him to defeat Mark Antony. He 
switch sides because Herod had a lot of money. He built great buildings. He built the temple. He built all sorts of things, Masada, the big fortress there. And he left a great heritage until he began to fall apart. The genius which kept him in power led to a narcissism and a, 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 a sense of fear about plots against him. And this is no joke. He had his first wife killed, her son, his second wife killed, her two sons, all in this fierce fear and attempt to hold on to power. The killing of these babies was just part of a pattern. In fact, Herod, toward the end, different psychologists have put labels on what he went through, but he went through a total breakdown. And while he was doing that, he kept giving orders for people to be destroyed, to be killed, to be massacred, anybody he thought of who might be an enemy of his. So this is quite consistent with what happened to Herod during that time. But think of it. The reason these babies died was because the baby king was born. The reason the evil came into the world was because the good came into the world. The backlash against the good is often a horrible evil. And I'm wondering if Jesus was aware, told the story when he was growing up about the killing of those babies. And if he did not feel that somehow his love for children was a compensation for all those innocents who had been massacred by Herod. All from his neighborhood, from his area, because that's what Herod went after. Well, the aftermath of these great gifts that they brought was to go kind of, it says in the text, that they went another way to their homes because they didn't want Herod to be able to follow them, be able to track them down and get the answer from, from them about where Jesus was. And so they kind of snuck off after coming with great pomp and circumstance, they left in a way, maybe by night, so that they wouldn't be found. Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, talks about collateral damage. It's about the empty boxes, about the ribbons laying on the floor, about the clothes that are the wrong size that you have to take back. Collateral damage is what happened here. But Boxing Day is a way of trying to make that better. And so we have this opportunity to use today and the rest of the days of this kind of lost week between Christmas and New Year's to restore things, to reach out to people, 
to show love to people who are not loved. So what we can do is things like giving gifts. Maybe you received more gifts than you can use. Maybe you can share them. Maybe, maybe you can share uh, in, in an alms box like the Salvation Army box, which goes to the poor. Or maybe you can find a way to give a meal to someone. And maybe there's an individual child that you can bless with the memory of those children who died as collateral damage because of the Mad King. I heard a story once about um, a guy who was approaching his home after work, driving up the street, he saw smoke. And he realized there was a fire up ahead. As he got closer, he saw lights flashing and heard more and more sirens, and then he realized there was a house fire. And he prayed, and he said, Lord, please don't let it be my house. And then he realized what he was really praying is, Lord, let it be somebody else's house. We live in a, in a world that's like that. There are troubles and trials. There always have been, there is now, there always will be, as long as this earth exists. But even beyond that, sometimes our troubles and trials or our good experiences, our blessings are uneasy because they're connected with someone else's troubles and trials. Lord, don't let it be my house. Some of you guys who aren't as spiritual as I are going to go home and watch football this afternoon. <laughs> and you're probably going to root for somebody. And when your team wins, you're going to rejoice. And then you're going to think of your friend who had the opposite reaction. Because if your team wins and you rejoice, there are a lot of people who are suffering and who are crying. When you buy a product at a ridiculously low price, you gotta suspect that some workers were severely underpaid so that you could have that good price. When Jesus' birth led to the slaughter of hundreds of toddlers in his neighborhood. That was the same experience on a larger scale. When we're blessed at Christmas, therefore, we should always remind ourselves that others are suffering, sometimes because of us, not always. That's what Christmas is about, though. It's about addressing that. You know, when Jesus came into the world, he proclaimed his mission in the words from Isaiah, and he talked about preaching the gospel to the poor. That's what he was about. 
preaching the gospel, the good news, to the poor. Now the gospel, if it's preached right, may not be good news to the rich. Remember the man who had so many houses and so much property that he couldn't turn and follow Jesus. But the gospel is especially good news to the poor. And it's good news because of a promise of another world in which you won't be poor, but you will be rich and fulfilled and totally blessed. Yes, it is that. It is the gospel of salvation so that you're ready for that other world. But the gospel to the poor means more than that. It means the good news must go to the poor in this world through us. True gratefulness results in boundless generosity. It has to. True gratefulness has to result in boundless generosity. Because if we understood what we're being grateful for, it is all of God's grace. And, and grace is given to us not to be used. Think about it. It's given to us to be passed on. It is not ours in the first place. You can't simply consume the grace that God gives to you. You have to channel it to others. If you try to use it up on yourself, it'll turn sour and it'll destroy you. That's so consistent with the message of Jesus. So this is a gospel to the poor. Those wise men carried rich gifts, really rich gifts. And they gave them and they knew when they gave the gifts that something was wrong. They knew about Herod. They knew about the threat. That's why they snuck away. And from a distance, they probably heard about the babes, the toddlers who were killed. But they still rejoiced in the baby Jesus' birth because he would be the hope for those toddlers and for their families and for every person struggling and suffering in the world. We can't clean up Christmas and make it neat. We have to celebrate Boxing Day as well. And we have to make use of all the leftovers in a way that glorifies God. Gratefulness leads to boundless generosity. Thank you, Lord, for your love this Boxing Day. Help us to celebrate you by celebrating someone else who really needs a word of encouragement and a helping hand. In Jesus' name, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. 
And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.